Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I'm here with Kristen LaBianca. Hello. And today we are speaking with Juno Dawson, who is a best-selling novelist, screenwriter, and journalist. Her books include the global bestsellers, This Book is Gay and Clean. She also writes for television and has multiple shows in development, both in the UK and the US. An occasional actress and model, Juno appeared in HBO's I May Destroy You, which we fucking love. We've talked about that on this show before. <laughs> her adult debut, Her Majesty's Royal Coven, is out May 31st. Welcome, Juno. Hello. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. This book is fire. Oh, oh my you. God. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, we're fucking obsessed. We're going to fangirl pretty hard today, I think. Yeah, I'm, yes. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. I have to say, your publicist sent out the pitch for this, and I don't think I've ever responded to an email so fast. It was like, <laughs> it's Spice Girls, but with witches. And I was like, I need to know nothing else. Like, that's it. I'm sold. I'm in. Yes. Give it to me. <laughs> Do you know what? People always think I'm kidding. No, no, it really was that. When I sat down to write this book, it was beginning of lockdown. I was having the worst writer's book because I never used to write from home. And my husband was just like, look. What do you want to write about? And I was like, Spice Girls, but they're witches. And he was like, well, then you should write Spice Girls, but they're witches. And then here we are two years later. So I think the best books come out of that, like just writing what you want to write and not what you think other people want you to write or what the market wants. Mm. So tell us about Her Majesty's Royal Coven. I will. So it is about five very powerful witches who have been friends since they were children in the 90s and they have now grown up their lives have gone in very different directions but they are about to be brought back together when a prophecy foresees the end of witch kind and needless to say these witches have very different ideological ideas about this prophecy which involves a young transgender witch and the division within the coven threatens not just their friendship but also all of reality (laughs) quite high stakes yeah yeah it's so epic and cinematic and oh my god I could not put it down I was like I wanted to savor it but it was one of those books that you can't savor you just have to keep 
flipping the pages so yes. fast. <laughs> well, I think that was born out of lockdown as well. You know, I, we couldn't go to the cinema. We could stream stuff, but I, I wanted something to do during my days that felt cinematic, as big as Wonder Woman 1, as big as an X-Men movie. And that was something... I couldn't find in any of the books at that point. I'm, I'm a big fan of Lee Bardugo and Samantha Shannon, and I wanted to really do something that was on as big a canvas as what they do. You absolutely did. Yeah. Thank you. So let's talk about the women who are the main characters here and the differences between them. I thought you did such a great job at capturing that tension of when you're friends with someone, when you're a girl, and then you grow up and yes. like, there's love there, but you are not compatible people anymore yes you would not be friends if you met now yeah (laughs) I'm not gonna throw any of my friends under a bus (laughs) however (laughs) I mean I'm in more than one whatsapp group where you do wonder if we would be friends now there is a line in the book where Neve says all we have is years And that's not nothing there. With some of my Mm. friends, yeah, maybe we wouldn't make friends now. Our lives have gone in very different directions, but we will always have those years. We have shared joy and shared trauma, and there is enough there that even nostalgia can keep you going so far. And that is something that I really wanted to explore with these women. You know, I think they're women first and then witches second. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's something really beautiful about the way that people who have known you forever, they know you in such a specific, deep way and they can relate to you the way no one else can. They can make you laugh like no one else can. And that's something that I feel like we don't we don't really see a ton of in fiction and I love it. It's deeper, I think, sometimes than friendship. It does feel like a kind of sisterhood. The word I use in the book is sororia, like a Latin mm-hmm. phrase. And it, and it does feel like that, and especially complicated by, you know, my oldest girlfriends knew me before my transition as well. So it's, it's kind of like they've got some real photos that can hold over me. <laughs> you know, they, can, they can blackmail me so effectively. So that, there's another reason to be nice to your oldest friends. <laughs> yeah, that's true. They know everything, like too much sometimes. <laughs> I thought too, there's such a great and so richly deserved critique of white feminism in this <laughs> book especially through the character of Leone and when she's talking about their friendship she says the other women look at it through these rose-colored glasses that they were like the Spice Girls they were like a Taylor Swift girl squad sex in the city it's all these very white references obviously and for her it was not that yeah so that was a, a choice you know I allegorically was exploring the coven as kind of a metaphor for feminism and you know, previously I've been a YA author and I know those conversations about white authors, including characters of colour. But if the theme of Her Majesty's Royal Coven is who gets to be included and who gets to be excluded, and then if I was to exclude a Black <laughs> viewpoint, I mean, what would that say about inclusion and exclusion and, and the role that white feminists have of considering the lived experience of women of colour. And that was why I thought, right, this book is in the third person, so I'm not trying to climb inside a person of colour. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to explore feminism. And so it was important to me that one-fifth of this coven was a woman of colour. And more than that as well, so obviously I'm white and Leonie is 
black but some of our life experience is very similar in that actually we are the two working class characters so I stress I'm not a character I'm a real human but (laughs) Leonie grew up on a council estate in Leeds I grew up on a council estate in Bradford you know I was sent off to a grammar school Leonie was sent off to the coven when we didn't really fit so there is some overlap and I think that's a good place to start with characters who are from outside of your demographic actually look for the similarities before you consider the differences but yeah it was really important to me to include Leonie and and she offers a very different perspective on the history of the coven as well when Neve talks about the history of the coven she starts with Anne Boleyn (laughs) when Leonie starts with the history of the coven she goes way way further back to the African diaspora and the way that their magic system originated like hundreds and hundreds of years before Anne Boleyn put on a crinoline. That was really important for me because the way I was taught history in the United Kingdom was white and it was flawed and it was wrong. And it, it pretended Britain had no role in the slave trade when, of course, it very much did. And so Leonie, she's a character and I hope she sings, but she is also a way for myself as a white author to reflect on my whiteness. And, and I felt it would be really cowardly to not do that in this novel. It's so interesting that you come from YA because we're always talking on this show, specifically in crime fiction, but I would say across genre. In YA, there's so much more intersectionality, representation, mm-hmm. and it, adult has so much catching up to do. So much. <laughs> so much. So I'm really glad that authors like you are bringing that YA sensibility into adults because adult readers really fucking need it. <laughs> And especially genre as well. It's it's yeah. really interesting because obviously I'm a huge fan of Tori Peters who did Detransition Baby. So there are examples. Very often the, the onus falls on somebody from within that demographic to do the heavy lifting. But I think whether it's crime fiction or science fiction or fantasy, I, I think now is the time to diversify the characters. Like I, I see no excuse for not doing Mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. I see no excuse. Is what I'm- <laughs> <laughs> I just love that readers of young adult, like actual young adult readers, are going to eventually become adult readers who expect to see that kind of inclusivity and intersectionality in books. I can't wait for that to happen fast enough because you know, for, th- for them, that's what books are. And for the sort of stodgy adult market, there's this real disconnect. But when young adult readers eventually become readers of adult fiction, they're going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> I mean, we're definitely coming from the crime fiction perspective. We're both thriller authors and it's a lot of like white cishet couples in the suburbs and like dad thrillers with only one white man can save the world, that kind of thing. So yeah. I know in literary fiction, there's more happening. But yeah, I totally agree, Kristen. I'm looking forward to that day too. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Helena a little bit? Oh, oh, Helena. She is like the ultimate gaslight gatekeep girl boss (laughs) character. That's what I kept thinking when I was reading about her. And it was interesting when we first meet her, she's like a boss bitch, right? So as a reader, especially a white woman reader, I think you're like, yeah, she's awesome. She's in charge. She's the head of the coven. And then as the book goes on, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. So Helena was by far the hardest character to write, but also I very much enjoy her chapters. When I knew a Helena chapter was coming up, I got quite excited. So I am a trans writer and I live in the UK. 
Yeah. It's been an interesting couple of years over here. And, you know, I always say when I speak to Americans or Australians or Spanish or Italian people, that there is something uniquely transphobic about the UK at the moment. We, we're not called Turf Island for nothing. <laughs> and, you know, I have to live here. And during the pandemic, I was trapped here. I couldn't even leave. And, of course, that influenced my writing. I couldn't write any more journalism in which I had to explain why I wasn't a threat. <laughs> the editors approach you in the litany of different ways, but they all want you to say the same thing. Could you just come on and explain why you're not a rapist? And I'm like, mm, I'd, really, I'd rather not. That doesn't sound fun. And so I wanted to write my book, Spice Girls with Witches, but also I was dealing with all this noise and all this kind of stuff in the press I remember even at the height of the pandemic we were still getting daily scary fear-mongering headlines on the front of some of the papers including some very liberal like air quotes liberal publications as well and it just seems that unlike maybe anywhere else in the world there's kind of like a weird legitimacy to this fear-mongering in the UK you know, when you've got outlets like The Guardian saying trans rights cannot come at the cost of women's rights. So, you know, it was a scary time. And so that did influence my thinking. And I did want to explore where's this coming from? I didn't want to sympathise or empathise because I don't think we should sympathise or empathise with prejudice. But I did want to see if I could understand and so I was like a little archaeologist. I got my little dusting brush out and I was digging at these bones. And the big discovery that I made was, oh, it's just prejudice. Like all this time I was thinking, am I the problem? Is my existence causing a schism in womanhood or in feminism? But then I thought, even if this fear is real, even if women like Helena are genuinely fearful of trans people, there is a word for an unfounded fear of a minority group. And it's bigotry, <laughs> that's yep. a word. So I was like, oh. And so actually some of those chapters from Helena were difficult, really horrible, ugly things that she says and the things she comes out with are despicable. But at the end of that novel, I, I got something out of that, which is this isn't on you, it's on her. When the rest of the women in this book are like my friends. I came out 10 years ago and my mum, my sister, my publicist, my editor, my friends did nothing but support me through what was the most turbulent five years of my life. But, you know, th there are unfortunately also women like Helena who seem to be scapegoating trans women for patriarchal trauma. Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but Helena definitely has this mistrust of and fear of men, mm -hmm. which I can relate to. But mm -hmm. it's like instead of focusing on men, she's attacking other women. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought you made the point really well, which is what I have been saying about uh, she who shall not be named, <laughs> <laughs> which is just all, like all you have to do is say nothing and live your life. It doesn't affect you. Like, why are you continuing to push this? And you made that point really well about Helena, some of the other characters. Like Neve at one point is like, all she had to do was leave Theo alone, let Theo live her life. It's not harming her. That's it. And she just can't do that. She has to get involved <laughs> in a very epic way. Yes. This book is about division between women. 
the word that I've been using a lot is coalition. I don't think all women need to be friends. It isn't a Taylor Swift girl squad. We don't (laughs) always have to agree on everything. But I do think there is a conversation, an urgent conversation to be had around coalition because women are under threat. Look at abortion. Look at bathroom bills. You know, there is an obvious need for women to work together. And just before we started recording this podcast, you know, a story breaking today in the UK about a butch lesbian who was barred from entering a toilet in Marks and Spencers, which is a department store. So, you know, this transphobic rhetoric is already having a knock-on effect for gay cisgender women. That's what I'm hoping as Majesty's Royal Coven does. I'm hoping it's a real argument for not blind friendship between all women, but actually just coalition. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Theo, the transgender witch character, who for most of the book, she is only communicating... Telepathically? Telepathically. Mm -hmm. Like, I was curious why you made that choice. I mean, the the telepathy is not the subtlest metaphor that I've ever (laughs) written, which is what really, am I allowed to say, boils my piss? What really boils my piss is that so much on both sides of the Atlantic so much is written about trans youth nobody ever speaks to trans youth so much chat about being silenced but when do you ever see a young trans person on the news on television in the press talking about this is why I want hormone blockers. This is why I've made the choices I've made. It's always these adults around them. We're always listening to someone else. We're listening to a politician or a, a, a sort of feminist expert academic. We never hear from the trans people themselves. And that's why Theo is silent, because I truly believe that trans youth have been silenced. Mm-hmm. it's not a subtle metaphor I mean it works though then it just makes again no spoilers but when uh, Theo is able to speak ultimately mm-hmm. in the way that she does it's even more impactful yes thank you so this book ends with quite a gasp mm-hmm. there are more books coming please tell me they are coming quickly yeah when's the next one out I need it immediately. <laughs> did you write it yet hurry up <laughs> there are two more and the second one is finished I sent it to my editor penguin last week the plan is that it will come out this time next year so we're going to release them one one a year that's partly to do with the release schedule in the uk so if book one deals with division among women book two looks at men and women and i think about two men speak in hmrc (laughs) yeah i love that i love a book where the men are like these very sidelined characters so i mean bless luke luke is very attractive to myself but it's like in any film in the 80s you know there was a woman and she was just there to be the girlfriend like i watched predator for the first time a couple of weeks ago and they literally just find a woman and she kind of follows them and then they send her away um, better to do. Yeah, and she's not like a commander. She's just a woman, just a forest <laughs> woman. And so there's something quite deliberate about the fact that Luke is just there to be the love interest. Because I think it's about time, actually, that men are serving this quite decorative role. But in book two, men are much more present. Because obviously there is the mysterious character of Dabney Hale, who is a warlock who is kind of a men's rights activist. He's a warlock rights activist. And Dabney Hale in book two takes on a much more significant role, as does Luke, the boyfriend. And then book three, 
I haven't written yet. So, so who knows? <laughs> I know where it's heading. The third one's heading and it's like more looking at the role of women under patriarchy when it all gets apocalyptic. But yeah, there's definitely going to be three books. And then after that, we shall see if there is a desperate hunger for more. <laughs> I would read like 50 books yes, set in this world sure. I'm in. I mean, the world building was so incredible too. Yeah. A lot of it is related to a world that's familiar, but you just plunge us into the the magic system and don't really over explain it. I love that kind of world building in fantasy. It's like, just figure it out. <laughs> You're <Yeah>. here now. <laughs> I mean, and like, that goes back to, I grew up on Philip Pullman's, his Dark Materials books. I know Pullman has become a bit of a grumpy granddad, but those books, they blew my mind. I mean, I will never forget. I think I was about... 16 when I read Golden Compass and yeah just mind-blowing that you know page one there's this girl called Lyra and she has a demon and you're like what (laughs) (laughs) a little talking animal just follows her around and then you're either with it or put the book away you can either choose to accept that we all have a little talking demon or you need to go read Sweet Valley High or something. <laughs> something where nobody has a fantastical animal spirit. And I wanted the same thing with much as well, cousin that, you know, from page one, you either accept these women are witches or you're welcome to go find something else to read. And there's such yeah. a lot of history to play with as well. There have been questions about will we go back and spend some time in Amberlynn's court. Will we see that first ever coven? Will we see Queen Victoria's coven? So there are endless directions that you could go in. It's whether or not there is an appetite to explore the world further. Yeah, I'm here for it. Like full cinematic universe, prequel, sequels, merch. The Juniverse. Yes. Yeah, let's get into the Juniverse. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you about the research that you did on witchcraft and what your personal experience with that is. I always say I'm witchy, but I'm not super serious about it. I want to know more. I think I'm, I'm right there with you. Would definitely describe myself as witchy. And um, I think there is something about the feminine divine when I come together in female-only groups, whether it's on my Hindu or whether it's bachelorette party for the American audience, or whether it's <laughs> when I'm at Trans Pride or Brighton Pride, there is a certain kind of magic that comes from when women come together. And I can't really put my finger on it. I can't describe it. I'm not so arrogant as to think that I know the infinite mystery of the universe I truly believe that we all need to respect and be more in awe of the natural world. Like last night in West Sussex, we had the most extraordinary thunderstorms. And so I kind of turned my pillow around and slept at the other end of the bed so I could see straight out of the window. And I just watched the lightning. And I was like, how could you not feel dwarfed by this and not feel like we're part of something much more powerful and something that we're never going to fully understand. My husband was just asleep. And I, <laughs> I kept trying to think, Max, Max, look at the lightning. And he was like, oh, <laughs> And I was wide awake watching the storm. And, and so I think, I, I don't want to sign up to anything organized. You know, that's the reason that I never got on board with Christianity either, which is like, I didn't want somebody to tell me I was doing it wrong. So I'm almost kind of mindful of anyone who's telling me I'm doing witchcraft wrong. That's not what I'm doing with this novel. Yes, it suggests a magic system, but I'm not saying it's the magic system. Goodness me, I'm not trying to start a cult. 
<laughs> there's enough of that on Instagram like there is enough there is the wellness to crazy pipeline I'm not participating in that yeah for me witchcraft is I was raised evangelical Christian and I'm still dealing with that and I went really hard for a few years like I'm an atheist I don't believe in anything kind of nihilistic almost and then it is through community with other women, like people I've met in creative circles that I've gotten more involved in the witchy side of things. And there is something really like healing and empowering about it, but I definitely don't have any particular rituals or practices. I don't know. I'm like somewhere between really believing it and being in it for the aesthetic. And I think that's okay. Just vibes, all about <laughs> yeah. the vibes. Yes. Just, yeah, it's all, it should, it should be about the vibes. How are you feeling? Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. I was raised Catholic uh, and went to Catholic school for 12 years, which definitely did a lot of damage that I'm still (laughs) sorting out as well. But it's like, you know, you sort of grow up thinking these things, these types of beliefs are evil and bad because everything Mm. gets sort of lumped together. Like believing in the power of nature is the same thing as worshiping Satan. It's wild the way (laughs) these generalizations get made. So it is very empowering to realize, oh, you can actually find what works for you, take it with you. And that's enough. I fully, fully agree. I, I think that would be a nice way for a lot more people to think. <laughs> <laughs> that's just, that's, that's putting it mildly, isn't it? But yeah. A little less conflict in society. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but speaking of empowering, we're getting towards the end of our time here, but I would be remiss if we did not ask you more about the Spice Girls. We got to talk about the Spice Girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that pitch was incredible, but then I thought it was just like, okay, they're a group of friends. But there are so many deep cut Spice Girls <laughs> references in this book. It's delightful. <laughs> For me, a lot of it made sense when, speaking of deep cuts, when Adele went on James Carden's Carpool Karaoke. And I will never forget what she said. She said there were these five working class girls who got out. And Adele said, I don't even know what it was that I wanted to get out of, but I knew I wanted to get out. And I feel exactly the same. When Wannabe dropped, I think I was 14 and I didn't know what a trans person was. I felt so sad that I wasn't going to grow into a woman like all my girlfriends were doing. And I knew I wanted to get out. I wanted to get out of Bingley. I wanted to get out of West Yorkshire. I wanted to make it in the way that they made it. And that, you know, they were briefly the most famous women in the world. And if you weren't inside that bubble in 1996, you're not going to understand it. My mum didn't understand it then. Like she would look at them and be like, what, these? (laughs) These? (laughs) This? This is what you want to build your life around. And, and I, you know, and I saw it again with One Direction and I understood that I understood that it wasn't for me and that, that was okay and that this wasn't my bubble. But because I'd had the Spice Girls, I completely understood the hysteria in, in the same way that some people got really into BTS or really mm-hmm. into YouTube celebrities, you know. And so fandom, you need to have been in one to understand one, I think. <laughs> and so... You know, I I say very earnestly, yeah, the Spice Girls massively changed my life. And I feel very lucky that I'm in a position now where people calling the shots in film, television and publishing were in that bubble as well. (laughs) And so when you write a book like Her Majesty's Royal Coven, my editor, who is also in her late 30s, is like, yes, this is what I was like. And, And so now the good news is that decision makers came from my bubble. 
we don't have to pretend to like the Beatles anymore. It's fine. We, we <laughs> just say we like the Spice Girls. It's okay. <laughs> Who's your favorite Spice Girl? Or can you not choose because they're also magnificent? I know I absolutely can, and it's Victoria. <laughs> so, without <laughs> second of hesitation. And that's because she was the outsider within the outsiders. My favorite meme ever is from their reunion at the 2012 Olympics, where the other four are kind of like jumping around and are climbing all over each other. And about five meters to their left is just Victoria standing. And I'm like, yes, hello, my childhood. Four meters away from anyone else standing. The resting bitch face. That's why I always liked her the best. This is what I relate to. (laughs) What about you, Kristen? Oh my gosh. Can a person choose? That is the question. I've just finished watching, well, not finished, but the show The Circle is very Spice Girls focused this season. It is. I absolutely love Mel B so much. Very top of mind because her personality is just so glorious on that show. Which Her little dog that she does pink. Yes, her little dog. (laughs) That surprised me watching The Circle because a lot of the contestants are pretty young, like mid to early 20s. And I would have thought they wouldn't really even know who the Spice Girls were, but they were all really excited. I I don't know. It surprised me. I I thought that was kind of just our generation. I'm glad they're enduring. Yes, they changed the world. (laughs) And you know what? What blows my mind about the Spice Girls is they had 18 months that they did all this in 18 months. Wait, what? Really? Wannabe landed in July 96. Jerry left, I want to say, February 98. Wow. Jerry was active in that band for less than two years. You know, and then obviously when she left, it fell apart. Well, it did. You need five for the power of spice. They said it themselves. I'm sorry. (laughs) They said it, and it's true. And that's something was true of this book as well, which is each witch brings something to the summoning circle. So... Yeah, Spice Girls, forever. (laughs) Forever, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Um, If we could just end by you telling everyone where they can find you on the internet if they want to know more about your book and wait for the sequel with bated breath like the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) So Her Majesty's Royal Coven comes out on 31st of May, 2022, because obviously podcasts last forever. And I am at Juno Dawson on Instagram and for now, Twitter. Let's see what happens, shall we? (laughs) Elon Musk's Twitter. We may may all have to leave. That's (laughs) that's when we're all leaving, right? We've all decided that that's the step too far. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.